Well, today we are going to be kicking it off with Hebrews, so if you'd please grab your Bibles and open them up to Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way till verse 25 together this morning. Now, as we open up this passage, and we're going to be seeing an important character, that is Melchizedek. Let's all remember who he is as we get ready to start this morning. He is the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, we know we're talking here about Jesus. So let's keep this in mind as we get ready to dig into the word and understand some more, okay? For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, Jesus, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So here we see an important principle. Here Abraham has come back from the slaughtering of the kings. Okay, He has some wealth that he has now added to him. And a response of Abraham as he comes and he sees Jesus, as he sees Melchizedek, is Abraham had apportioned a tenth of everything to him. There's a tithe principle here. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning or days nor end of life, but resembles the Son of God. He continues as a priest forever. That's Jesus. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. So again, the tenth of the spoils from this conquest, Abraham's response was to give it to Jesus. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have also a commandment in the law to take tithe from the people. Now, this is how these priests pastors are to live, is to be receiving part of the tithe. That is how we are to be cared for so that we in turn can take care of you. That's how it was set up. That is from their brothers, though these are also the descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have a descent from them, received the tithes from Abraham and blessed him who have the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case that tithes are received by mortal men, like pastors and priests, but in the other case by one whom it is testified that he lives. You know, we are giving it as obedience to the Lord, as obedience to Jesus. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives the tithe, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people Receive the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of 
Aaron. You know, you need this relationship with God. It's not just about you can achieve this or you can receive this because of a priest or hear a pastor's connection in your life. You need this relationship with God. It says in the next verse, and this is important, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from whom no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe of Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeliness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement, that's not the reason, concerning concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. It is evident because of the power of an indestructible life. That is Jesus. For it is witnessed of him, you are priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. On the other hand, A former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. Guys, that's not the point of the law. The point of the law is not to make things perfect. It's to teach us right from wrong. It's to teach us how to live. But it's not going to bring perfection. We are human. That is not what this is about. But on the other hand, it says here in verse 19, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. You know. Through the law, we learn things. We learn what we should do, what we shouldn't do, what's right, what's wrong. But the key to heaven, the key to this eternity, the key to this perfecting the good work that he has started in us, that comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is so important because it says, through which we draw near to God, that better hope brings us an opportunity to be able to draw nearer to our Heavenly Father. And it is without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one who made a priest with an oath, by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priests forever. Now I love this next part. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. That it's not about the law. It's not about a works program. It is about him. And he is going to perfect this work that he has started. Because let's think back to what we've been learning in our sermon. You are in the process of being saved because you are saved. You have a relationship with God. You are in the process of being saved because he's continuing the good work that he has started in you. And you are in the process of being saved in the future because he will continue until that point, until you are in heaven with him for all eternity, the good work that he has started in you. Now, it says in verse 23, Now the former priests were many in number. They were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. We are men. We are human. We have a time here on earth. And then we get to go and be in heaven. But this priest... 
didn't have this beginning and end time here on earth. He continues forever, and that is who we serve. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God, keyword, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, I love that. One, that is who our God is. Number two, he lives Jesus lives to pray for us, to be with us, to make intercession for us. And he saves to the uttermost those who draw to God through him. Jesus has a very important purpose in our lives. And let us never forget the important and the role of Jesus Christ. Let's remember this as we turn and open up our hearts some more in praise and worship. I hope you enjoy. Yeah. 
Now for our Old Testament passage, we're going to be opening up our Bibles to Lamentations 2, verse 8, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 3, verse 39. Now, we are going to be going through some confusing passages, not in the sense of, oh, I don't understand what that means, but in the sense of, I don't understand how that was able to happen. But we're going to go through and take a look and understand some things together today, okay? Now, verse 8, the Lord determined to lay to ruins the walls of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart to and wall to lament. They languished together. You need to see, and you will see in these passages, what happens when the hand of protection is taken off of our life and when the Lord says, okay, I've given you chance, I've given you mercy, I've given you time, but now my hand is off and now destruction can come. Now these things will come. You're going to see a lot of that today as we get through this word. Verse 9, her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her kings and princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown their dust on their heads and put on their sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns, my bile is poured out to the ground because of my destruction of the daughter of my people, because of infants and babies that faint in the street of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? And they faint like wounded men in the streets of the city, and their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what can I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you, that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? What a thing to say, that that's how much destruction you have. That that's how much destruction and pain you're going through, because this hand is taken off of your life based on the decisions that they made. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. See, not every vision is of the Lord. Not every vision is from him or gives his promise. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. There's consequences for false leading and false pastors, false prophets. There's consequences for all that. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you as they hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rile up against you. They hiss. They gnash their teeth. They cry, we have swallowed her. Oh, this is the day we have longed for. Now we see it. Now we see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word. And you know what? He always will. Which he commanded long ago. He threw down without pity. He made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. See what happens when our hearts are turned away from God, when we are just not living right? 
their heart cry to the Lord. O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night, and the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him. For the lives of your children who faint and hunger and the head of every street. Look to the Lord and see. With whom have you dealt thus? Should every woman eat the fruit of her womb, the children of her tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned as if to festival day my terrors on every side. On the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped, no one survived. Those whom I held and raised up my enemy destroyed. I am the man who has seen the affliction, chapter 3, under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell into darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. And you're saying, Pastor, hey, why? What is this? What does this mean? Let's continue. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turns aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all people, the object that taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He satted me with warm wood. He made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. Now, Verses 17 to 26, we see something. We see here that sin is going to have an understanding here of the consequences of sin. We're going to see a little change in what he thinks. And in this, we're also going to see some hope. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continuously remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. He knows that there's going to be more to come, but he knows all of these things that have happened. He knows all of these consequences, but still there is hope in God. And here in verses 22 to 25, we're going to see this hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. Verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is only from him. So sin is having an understanding here that hope Yes, there's consequences, but hope comes from the Lord. There is going to be mercy, but you have to turn away from that sin. You have to turn away from that and turn to him. It says his mercies never come to an end. Now that hand of protection can be taken off of your life. But if you'll turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, have mercy. Lord, I was a sinner. I made mistakes. He is a merciful God. There is hope in him, it says. It is good that men shall bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. And let his let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. There can be mercy. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. but. Though he caused grief, I love this part, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. That is who God is. He loves you so much. Verse 33, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. You know, it takes a lot. It takes a lot for God to remove the hand of protection from your life. But when that happens, all these things can come. All these things can hurt. All these things can destroy. But it takes so much for God to let his hand be off your life. But still, there is hope. But still, there is mercy. If you will turn away and turn to him. There, there is hope. Verse 33, to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve. Who has spoken as it came to pass, unless the Lord had commanded it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come. Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? You know, we all deserve punishment. We have all made mistakes. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But, but God, because of him, we can turn away. We can turn away from all of the sin and turn to him. And we can make a decision to be free, to be free, to live free, and to be forgiven. Now, all of this destruction, all of this pain can come, but God still offers mercy. God still offers relationship, and God still offers love. So today, I hope you've learned something as we've gone through and read in Hebrews and in Lamentations today. And as we get ready to wrap it up, I would just love to pray for you this morning. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we get to understand who you are, your words, your promises. We get to understand what you've done, what you will continue to do. And Lord, we pray. We pray for your goodness. We pray for your goodness, Lord, which will lead men to repentance. We pray for your faithfulness, Lord God, that we will see your goodness. We pray, Lord God, for your mercy to come and be upon us. Lord, open up our hearts and our eyes. Let us see the things we need to fix and deal with in our life. Lord, we pray, let our hearts be turned to you. Let our hearts be turned to your desires, to your word, to what's right, and to turn away from what is wrong. Lord, we lift up to you our government and our nation as we are going through all of these things with COVID-19. Father, we pray for your hand of protection to be upon us, our household, that sickness and disease be far, far away, Lord, that you be with our government and our doctors as they are making decisions to take care of our nation, that sickness and disease be far from them, that you keep them healthy and strong, that, Lord, you guide them according to your word, Father God, that the peace will be upon them, Lord. Father, we pray for all of your children. Lord, we ask, continue to give wisdom, Lord God. Continue to guide our steps. Continue to help us, Lord, in the direction that we should go. We thank you, Lord, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we look forward to more testimonies to come of your goodness and your faithfulness because you are a good, good Father. Lord, we thank you for the provision that comes from you. We thank you for the ideas and the understanding and the open doors, Lord God. And Lord, we just come and say thank you. We say thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your mercy, Lord, because you are a good father. Lord, we love you so much. We give you all glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I hope you really learned something today, and we so look forward to getting to see you in the services this weekend in all of our campuses. God is so good. God is so faithful. And let's go to the house of the Lord. Have an amazing weekend. Take care and God bless.